Okay, so if you were with us last week, we, were, we, we read through Daniel chapter 2, which is that famous story of Nebuchadnezzar having his dreams and not knowing what to do about this dream that disturbed him in the midst of his triumph, of the midst of his rule over the entire universe. Um, this dream disturbed him, and Daniel was God's man to rescue all the wise men from destruction as well as interpreting for... I'm going to try to hold the mic up even higher. Is that okay? Is this a bit better? You get the low tones now. That's good. Please turn the subwoofer up to 11. All right. So now we're going to be in chapter 3. And this is the story of when Nebuchadnezzar sets up a golden image to himself. And a few of Daniel's friends won't bow down to this image. And they're thrown into the fiery furnace. Did anybody ever read this story once a year when you were going through Sunday school as a child. Yeah, good. So we've got some background here. And so I'll probably just read a chunk and then make some comments and away we go. This is Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the king that... Sorry, stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages... That when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, which sounds like a superhero name, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship that shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So what in the world is going on here? So you'll remember from the last chapter that King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream about this big idol. So he had a dream of it, and he was told that his kingdom represented the golden head. Do you remember this? Now, I don't know for sure, but I wonder if Nebuchadnezzar got it into his head, well, since I'm the gold head in this image, maybe I should make one of these. Since I'm so great, maybe I should make one of these images to just let everybody know, hey, God gave me this dream about how I was this golden head of this image, and so I've made one, and we're all going to come and bow down to me. I don't know for sure, but I wonder if that's what's going on. And the Bible tends to not get into too many details about images and idols and stuff like that because God hates these things. He hates it when somebody makes something and calls it God or takes something God has made and calls it God. It's just, it's insulting, it's disrespectful. Um, he, God is right there in the room while everybody is worshiping metal. 
And so he doesn't go into great details about why people do it or what they do because the story is not so much about... It's not like an archaeological dig where people are trying to get into the details of what people did in the past. It's a story about fallenness. It's a story about people getting it wrong. And the main point of this story is what God does in this. So we don't totally know why Nebuchadnezzar did this, but wouldn't it make sense... If you've got this madman who owns all the gold in the world and he had this dream about a gold head and is told that this is him, he would be like, oh, maybe I should make one of these things just so everyone can know about how awesome I am. And so he sets up this image for worship, which kind of makes it a religious event. And at the same time, he gathers together satraps and prefects and governors, and he invites all the rulers of his nation whether it's the justice angle with the justices, so those would be the judges, or whether it's the prime ministers or the, the, the mayors, whatever we would call them. He invites all the government officials to come to the worship of this image, what makes it a governmental event. So this is covering all the bases. All the government is there to worship religiously this image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And one of the things that strikes me about how this story opens is how the Bible is going out of its way to say that it's all the peoples and all the the nations and all the languages are gathered here together. What does that sound like to you? If you've been around for a while, I've been talking more about world missions and the goal of the church is actually to gather together in one people, all the nations and all the peoples, and all the languages. So here is Nebuchadnezzar kind of setting up this anti-church, whereby compulsion of force of law, he's gathering together all the nations for worship. But they're not there to worship the living God. They're there to worship who? Nebu and his statue. And it doesn't sound like a grace-based relationship, does it? It doesn't sound like a, a relationship based on the kindness of God because the herald says, whenever you hear any kind of music, still, I don't know what a trigon is, but it was rock. I guess it was the, the new hip thing. It was the eight-string electric guitar of its day. But whenever you hear anybody playing any music, you have to bow down. So this is worship by compulsion, and the cost of not bowing down to this image was death. As Christians, we are sometimes, you know, concerned about people having heart-based religion. You know what I mean? Like, do you really care in your heart about God? Like, not that it's just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge. Nebuchadnezzar did not care. It's like, all you need is knee knowledge. You just need to bow down or you're dead. I don't care if you feel it. (laughs) I don't care if you believe it. Bow down or die. Okay? So that was the scenario. And everybody did it. Verse 7. When they heard the music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, one of the things you can say about this is that this is typical for the world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. 
And without God, the true God in Jesus Christ, laboring by the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal himself and cause people to believe, this is what happens. You will have a government that sets itself up to be God and by compulsion and threat, forcing people to the kind of worship it demands. This is the history, in fact, of most of the Christian world. Whenever it falls away from true belief, usually what gets set up is some kind of socialism or communism. And what you get very quickly is some kind of tyrant or dictator demanding worship on pain of death. So this is just, this is normal. Alternatively, you have... Uh, Christianity, which has had some high points and low points, but where do you get these cultures coming from that respect individualism and respect people's right to worship and free speech? Where do these things come from? They come from a people who, who have been taught by God, you can't actually make people believe things. Only God can make people believe the truth, and so you need to find a way to live with people who don't believe the truth yet. And they need to be respected, and you, they need to not be violated. And you can't just show up with soldiers and say, Worship Jesus or you're dead. Because Jesus doesn't even receive that kind of worship. You're worshiping some other God when you try to compel people to worship Jesus by force or by violence. Jesus doesn't even receive that. But this is the world. And the world regularly wants to set up paradise on earth. The world regularly, everybody knows that something's wrong, right? You have to be a complete fool to think, yeah, this is great, you know, life's great. Then you get sick, and then you're like, ooh, this is the worst thing ever, you know? Or we fight with each other, life's great. And then your friend takes the last bit of the chocolate ice cream at co-op and right before you got there, and then... You're not speaking it for the next five years. and We all know that the world is messed up and broken. 99% of what we do in response to that is, is making things worse, though. And here's Nebuchadnezzar. He knows he lives in this world where uh, people fight and kill each other. He believes he's commissioned to conquer the world for the good of the world. And in one sense, God did call him to do that. But he thinks that he's the point to gather all the world and all the nations around himself for worship. And he's going to compel unity and peace and justice in the land. The cost is that if you don't bow down right now, you're dead. So what happens next? Verse 8, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews, and they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, harp, a bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace." There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. 
Okay, so this is how we got here. Remember, after Daniel revealed the dream to Nebuchadnezzar in the last chapter, Nebuchadnezzar promoted Daniel to be the highest governor in his country. He sets him over all the province of Babylon. And Daniel doesn't really want to be doing this job alone, at least, so he asks for a favor. This is the end of chapter 2. And he asks that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have permission to be his, his underlings. His, he wants to delegate those responsibilities to the province. So these are the shared prime ministers of Babylon. And Daniel is in the king's court, so he's like the liaison. He's the one standing before the king. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are doing the daily work of running the most important country in the world, which is not nothing. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar would know who these gentlemen are by name because they're running his country. Now, one of the things that happens is whenever religious stuff is happening, whenever governmental stuff is happening, whenever somebody makes a law, whenever somebody does anything, there are people who can find ways to manipulate it to their own ends. And when you're in government, in the most important government in the world, everything can become a power struggle for you because there's so much power and money and prestige up for grabs. United States elections. Sorry but it's true. Guess what's going to happen four years from now? There will be rioting in the streets again. Every four years, until there's no people left to riot or no streets left to riot in. They're the most important country in the world, and there's so much power and money up for grabs. There will be shenanigans, which is partially why things are so peaceful in Canada. Because all we're fighting over is trees and mosquitoes, essentially. I just. But here you have this situation. You have Daniel with the king, and he's not mentioned in the story, but you have his three friends who are the acting prime ministers over Babylon. And you have this group of people called the Chaldeans. Now in the last chapter, whose lives were all saved because Daniel went and sought the Lord for the dream? The Chaldeans. The only reason these guys are alive in order to make trouble is because Daniel and his three friends sought the Lord to find out the dream so that Nebuchadnezzar didn't put all the wise men to death. Think about that. The only reason these people are alive to make trouble is because Daniel saved them. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were praying and they were saved. But with this idol and with this law, they see an opportunity for themselves to position themselves into a greater place of authority and power. They're like, aha, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're Jews. They don't believe in idols. They believe in this invisible God like there's such a thing. They believe in this, this living God like there's such a thing. Here is our opportunity to get rid of these guys. I don't believe they actually care about Nebuchadnezzar that much. I don't believe they actually care about the idol that much. These are opportunistic shenaniganers. They're rascals. Don't be a rascal when you don't have as much stuff as somebody else. They're totally falling in for manipulation and backdoor stuff. And so they point out that these three provincial leaders aren't bowing down and they're hoping to manipulate Nebuchadnezzar into creating some job openings. 
Oh, we pointed out that these guys don't bow down. And look on the, on the job posting board. Positions available. Prime ministers of Babylon. Well, hey, yeah. Hey, well, hey. How did this happen? Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will be able to deliver you out of my hands? I want to talk for a second about temptation. We're tempted. What do I mean by that? All of us know that sometimes we want to do things we shouldn't. Have you ever had that experience? It's part of living in this life. We have options, we can make choices, and all of us have opportunities to choose to do things that we don't want to do or didn't want to do until the temptation came up or know we shouldn't do or something like that. And we call these temptations, right? Where we we can go down this road or we can go down that road. And for Christians... The whole realm of temptation becomes extra important for us because we know that there is spiritual warfare around all of our temptations. Since the first temptation in the garden, we know that temptation is about whether or not we will stay loyal to God or will give our hearts and our loyalty to something else. Now, usually when we think about temptations, we often think about wanting to do something. We think of temptations as like the ultimate chocolate chip cookie. Or or the monster cookie. It's got chocolate chips and it's got Smarties in there. You know, Smarties... How do you make a a chocolate chip survive an oven? Coat it in candy. Oh, yeah. That is is smart. That's smart. That's, That's pretty awesome. It's got the color on there. It doesn't burn in the oven. Like, is it the best candy ever? Quite possibly. It's like, I want to do this. I should say no. But for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are in a major temptation situation here, and it doesn't have to do with them getting a pleasure. It has to do with them resisting pressure. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Many cultures run on three different things, one of three different things. Shame, the idea of appearing good or bad in public. Guilt, the feeling of whether or not you're right or wrong in your heart. Or fear, the idea that if you do something or don't do something, someone's going to attack you. And in this situation, we actually see all these three three things functioning with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Number one, the idea of shame. They are getting summoned to the great political gathering of their age. Where all the governors and all the satraps and all the provincial rulers are all there in public. And everybody has gone and publicly bowed down to this image. And they didn't. Uh, Talk about peer pressure. Everyone's doing it. 
Now, and I'm glad that you and me are the only people in the world who aren't Im- impacted by peer pressure. Right? We can all agree. We're the ones that aren't impacted by advertising. We're the ones who aren't influenced by what other people are doing. But other people do sometimes feel pressure to not experience shame by not fitting in. Amen? I'm kind of joking, but all of us do. We, we all do. We like to think of ourselves kind of like bowling balls, just rolling down the alley of life, smacking into whatever pins get in our way. But we're actually a lot more like sponges. People are like sponges. So whenever we press up against each other, we kind of like squish the wetness. Is that helpful? Maybe that's not helpful. But we're like squeezing out into each other who we are and what we're doing all the time. How we dress, how we talk, dialects, how you pronounce words. We're all influencing each other all the time. And so as much as we would like to think, yeah, I don't mind what everybody else is doing, how everybody's just thinking, the reality is that unless you're working hard to resist the pressure of shame and peer pressure, you're in it. We're already in it. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are going through perhaps the ultimate peer pressure situation where every one of their peers is there condemning them, their boss is there condemning them, and everybody that they lead politically, their underlings, are there condemning them. And they're exposed to public shame and humiliation. What about a sense of guilt? Okay, so they're brought before Nebuchadnezzar, and he is the judge of all the world. And so this is a trial. There's been this accusation against them. You are guilty of not bowing down to the image. And they're summoned, again, by soldiers brought into the room of the king. And he says to them, this is their trial. You have been accused of being guilty of not bowing down. If you're willing right now, so I've got my harp player right here. I've got Captain Trigon right there ready to squeeze his bagpipes and make some music for you. And you can bow down to the image right now. And I will declare you innocence of all charges. But otherwise, you will be guilty. So there's that pressure. They're in a courtroom. And their destiny is being decided whether they're righteous or unrighteous. And all of us have this thing inside of us where we want to be righteous. Right? Do you know how many, how few Facebook posts I see? List of idiot things I did this week. Blah, 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 blah. Watch me blow it as a parent. You know how many videos of the blowing it as a parent? We put the, the, the awesome cute moments up there. And I think that's fine. But we, we, we hide our guilt. We hide our unrighteousness. We want to appear to be doing good in the sight of the world. And then the fear aspect. It's not like they're just going to lose some friends over this. They're being threatened with going into the fiery furnace. Is it, and I could be wrong, but as I understand it, you know, they're out in this plane where they've made this humongous image that's, you know, 90 feet tall or something like this. And in order to make a big metal image that big, you need to do a lot of melting of metal. And in order to do a lot of melting of metal so that you can cast it into the shapes it needs to be, you need a really big furnace. 
And so as I understand this, this would be the furnace that this image came out of. Does that make sense? Because it's kind of a weird thing. We're going to throw you into a furnace. Like they've got some portable furnace. Like it's Danny's whole hog, but for criminals, you know, it's like just driving around with our super long barbecue. And if you mess around with us, your lunch, you know, it's not probably like that. It's probably like they'd set up this humongous furnace in order to cast all this metal to make this image. And these guys are being threatened with going into the same furnace that had made this metal image. How did they respond? Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage, sorry. Nebuchadnezzar, sorry, is so angry that he doesn't think there's a God in the world that can save these guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O God. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Now, I said a moment ago that temptation, whether it's to avoid shame or guilt or pain or temptation in order to get pleasure or something like that, um, ultimately is about loyalty. It's not about gain and loss. It's not about being a good person or a bad person. For Christians, for believers, temptation is always about this. Who is your God? And will you be loyal to the living God? It's it's always a loyalty issue. In the garden with Adam and Eve, it wasn't about the fruit. It wasn't even about the snake. It's in your heart, will you... Will you be loyal to God? And that's why this is their answer. They're just like... And for me, they're surprisingly respectful. Oh, you, you can cancel the trial. Just so you know, cancel the trial. It's okay. We'll, we, we don't even have to talk this over. We're going to be loyal to our God, and that includes not bowing down to your image. If he saves us, which we expect he will, great. And if he doesn't, we still won't do it. It's a loyalty first issue. Which, which is challenging for us because um, North Americans are kind of a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of people. Have you ever noticed that? I can promise you, with whatever happens in the American election or the next Canadian one, no matter how much money gets spent, we won't be satisfied. Have you ever noticed that? There's never been a country in the world where somebody's been like, we just spent $360 billion on saving you from COVID. And nobody's really gone, that's good. We're good then. Good. Good. You guys take a break. You're off from spending. You can take two years off from promises. We're good. Good job, fellas. You guys get a pay raise. No, we want more. Right? And more. 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 Save us from this thing. And then save us from that thing. And save us from this thing. And save us from that thing. And more. And more. And more. And more. And more. And maybe next time, who knows, we might vote. But for these three people facing certain death, 
They just say, we're going to be loyal to God no matter what he does. We expect that he, he can save us. You say there's no God that can save us from you. And no, our God really can save us from you. But even if he doesn't, we're going to be loyal to him. And this is the great issue of our lives. Will we be loyal to God? And when we aren't, it's a faith issue because we, we've stopped believing something true about God that makes us think that we need to go somewhere else for our protection, our provision, or something like that. That's how our hearts work. Okay, maybe I won't speak for you. For me, I'm pretty convinced that if I believed the entire truth about God all the way from the top of my head to the, feet, to the toes of my feet, how good he is, how strong he is, how loving he is, how kind he is, if I truly believed everything that he has truly done for me in the cross, then I wouldn't, then I'd just be loyal to him. I'd, be, I'd, I'd face everything with, God's got it. He's still good. He's still got me. And then the temptations would just get smaller and smaller and smaller because I wouldn't be thinking, oh, i got to need to provide for myself in this situation or, oh, I need to go find a savior in this situation or, oh, I need to defend myself in this situation or, oh, I need to attack that problem in this situation. Because we know that our living God has us. When we talk about faith, For Christians, faith should mean trust in God and loyalty to God wrapped up together. That's what it is. What do you mean when you talk about faith as a Christian? What we mean is we trust God and therefore we're loyal to God. That's faith. And if you're going to be a Christian, maybe you're not a Christian today, but if you're going to be a Christian, this is what it means. It means you come into a relationship where you say, I am going to trust Jesus with my whole life. And I'm going to be loyal to him with my whole life. That's, that's the commitment. Because God is worthy of all of our trust. And he cares if we're loyal. It's like the thing he wants from us. Will you, just, will you be loyal to me? I can take care of everything. Images of gold, that's nothing. I can make mountains of gold. I can make cities of gold. I can make streets of gold. The gold is nothing. All the dwarves in Erebor don't have enough gold compared to God. The hardest thing in the world is to get fallen sinners to trust God. And the only way to get there was to have his own son die for our sins on the cross so that we could be forgiven for everything we've ever done wrong against God and everything we ever will do wrong against God. And then after Jesus is raised from the dead to send the Holy Spirit into the world in order to give us a new birth and a new heart and a new life and a new existence that is empowered by God to be able to trust God and be loyal to God. That's our gospel. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is an honorable, rational, logical, fair person. And so he responds to these people's expression of faith with kindness, understanding, and equanimity, which is a great word. Let me tell you all about it. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed. 
against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it's usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And these men were bound with their cloaks and tunics and hats and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. One quick comment about this. Did those soldiers bow down to the golden image? And did it save them from the flames? The soldiers. Did the soldiers bow down to the image? Yes, they did. Did it save them from the flames? No, it didn't. What will happen to us if we turn away from God in order to bow down to whatever image our culture or our our world is commanding us to bow down to in these days? It won't save us. This is a crazy thing in this story. The only people who die in this story are the soldiers, the obedient soldiers. They had the wrong God. That was their problem. It wasn't their job performance. It wasn't whether or not they were stud muffin beefcakes because they were the mighty men in the army. They had the muscles. They were obedient. They did the bowing down thing. They had the wrong God. And so as they attempted to persecute the people with the living God, it cost them their lives. The king... Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said to them, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and all the leaders saw that their clothes were not harmed. I'm skipping over there. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against God, the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. I'm sorry for laughing. This guy needs a sense of proportion so bad, it's not even funny. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the God, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So our three heroes were loyal to the Lord unto death. And in this case, God decided to save them by miracle. Not every believer in Jesus who decides to be loyal to God unto death will be saved from physical death. There are many martyrs even today in the world people who are jailed all over the world for their faith in Jesus. Um, I don't know if Scott's friend has gotten out of prison yet, hasn't seen his son for his son's almost entire life, jailed for his faith. We're not always delivered exactly like this. We're always delivered, but we're not always delivered exactly like this. But they are, as a testimony against 
Nebuchadnezzar, God doesn't like it when people tell him what he can and can't do. And so Nebuchadnezzar told them that God couldn't do this very thing that he's doing, and so he did it. And Nebuchadnezzar is struck dumb. And then he turns the tables. Now this is, people will talk about, is Nebuchadnezzar saved? He he keeps declaring faith in the God of the Hebrews. He doesn't seem to be having much of a change of heart because he takes his same old, like, kill everybody religion and just changes the person. It used to be you died if you wouldn't worship these guys, but now it's you die if you say anything bad about this guy. And so he doesn't seem to be changing that much from the inside. Um, It's still a bloodbath with this guy. Just a different reason. But... God wants to glorify his name in his people's lives. And this is, I think, a truth that many of us maybe never think. Many of us go through life and it's like, I'm doing my life and then I get to a problem and then I pray, wondering if God's going to do something about it. Is that anybody's life? I'm, I'm doing my life, try, trying to be a good person, trying to be a good Christian, doing my life and then I come to a problem and then I pray, wondering if God might do something about it. Just me? Okay, this story teaches us That God is on the lookout to glorify his name in people's lives who want to serve him. He wants to do this. When you wake up in the morning, God is eager to glorify his name in the lives of people who want to serve him. This isn't something that we should wonder about. Does God want to answer prayer? Yes, he does, to glorify his name in the life. He wants unbelievers to realize something weird is going on in the lives of Christians. Because Nebuchadnezzar, again, this is take two for him, maybe even take three. He doesn't deserve to see the glory of God in action. If he just had an aneurysm, as soon as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked into the room, if he just went like fish out of water on the ground dead, that's more than he deserved. He didn't deserve to see God's glory. He didn't deserve to see an angel walking around in his own fiery furnace as he attempted to assassinate God's people. He didn't deserve any of this stuff, but the God of the universe is eager to make his name praised and known in the lives of people who don't know him yet. And so God humbles himself and reveals himself to Nebuchadnezzar again in order to get Nebuchadnezzar to proclaim afresh that the God of the Jews in this age and the God of the Christians in our age is the living God and actually acts on behalf of his people. That's what God is like for you and you and you too, not just older sisters. In fact, sometimes God likes to mess things around by choosing the younger one. Watch out. This is our God, the God who is eager to act on behalf of people who will show loyalty to him in trial. And yes, it can be confusing. And yes, he doesn't always act like, like this is the weird thing. This is the weird thing. Can we just look at the weird thing for a moment? What was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego doing right before the attempted fiery death? They were serving the king of Babylon. What was their reward for being faithful to God when the king was saying, I'm going to kill you? A promotion serving the king of Babylon. 
Think about that. Imagine if you're faithful to God and what you get is more responsibility and more time spent serving the guy who just had you, had you killed, except for miracle. Huh? Eh? Somebody? Are you with me here? This is weird. This doesn't make sense. God, we were loyal to you with this crazy, murderous maniac, and our reward is more responsibility under him and more time spent with him? Eh? So I'm just pointing that out because if we attempt to judge the Lord's deliverance, we're going to hurt ourselves and mess ourselves up. But if we're in for what he decides to do, it's going to be a great story. And that's how you know that I'm really making a point in the message because the sun bursts through the clouds and the entire room lightens up and then it disappears as soon as I start talking about it. I know we live in weird, challenging times. You've heard it so much that it's almost a cliche. And even saying that something's almost a cliche is a cliche about cliches. And so I'm really down the rabbit hole on this one. But how many people look at a country going sideways and think, boy, this is a mess. I want to try to become the prime minister. How many people like Daniel go through a time where God's people are being punished for their lack of loyalty and think, boy, I want to go get a PhD in economics and literature, you know, double major, and then become the premier? Is that a lack of faith? This was like the worst time in the history of Israel, and God's plan was to make his people take over the place. And every time they are loyal to God, they get promotions in the pagan kingdom. So weird. He should become the prime minister. That'd be a great place to glorify God. Don't hire your mom for anything when you become prime minister. It won't go well. All right. Well, I think the team has another song for us. So can I invite the team to come up? If you want to stand with me, I'm going to pray for us that God will give us grace and creativity and courage to do creative and unusual loyalty to him during these days. One of the things that strikes me about this whole story is just how otherworldly Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. They're so otherworldly. I'm going to kill you if you don't bow into the idol. Great, go ahead. You didn't die. You should become leaders of my country. Sounds good. They are so not operating in a worldly way. And we ought not to be as well. No matter what's going on, we are servants of heaven. We're heaven calmed down. We're the presence of God in the earth. Amen? 
If we need to become prime ministers to serve God, what's the difference between doing that and doing this? Not much, except you don't have to sing. So I'm going to pray for us that God will empower us for creative and unusual loyalty to him during really weird times. And if that's appealing to you, you can ask the Lord with me for that. Father, here we are, your servants. Father, we really do need to know you deeper. Father, I want to say we need to pray for courage to be loyal to you, and that's true. But that kind of courage just comes from knowing you so deeply. Father, I pray that you would give us creative loyalty to you in these days, and that you would help us to be an otherworldly people in the midst of a convoluted time. God, I just pray your blessing on everyone who hears this message and hears your voice. Would you show us your mercy together? In Jesus' mighty name, amen.